Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Just to update, some of you have asked how my elbow is doing after my surgery. I'm, I'm recovering. The football team hasn't taken me off the disabled list yet, but other than that, I'm doing pretty well. And uh, so no sling today, but thank you for those who were praying. Again, I want to mention, I mentioned this last week, but in the bulletin um, you have the notes for the message, but on the back you see some uh, family discussion time. I encourage you to do that, whether it's just you and your spouse, or if you are single or a widow or widower, you find uh, a friend and just talk through it with them. And uh, we did this as a family this week, and, and uh, I enjoyed our time together discussing it, and so encourage you to do that. Psalm 139 is where we'll be. In 1987, a man by the name of Martin Hanford created a series of children's puzzle books in England entitled, Where is Wally? You say, wait, no, that's not what it is. That's what it was. When it came to the United States, they changed the name to Where's Waldo. That's correct. This little guy, Waldo. Some of you remember that. Um, I asked um, one of my kids, do you remember Where's Waldo? And they, no. So you can see it's no longer a popular thing. But uh, Where's Waldo? This guy, Waldo, appeared in all sorts of colorful photos. And, and the idea was you were supposed to find him in the midst of a sea of people. Here's a picture. See if you can find him. I know it's probably really hard up there. But uh, in the midst of that, there is there. Um, sometimes he is very hard to find. Sometimes they would throw other things up there that kind of made it impossible for him to, to find him because it looked like everything else. And so just to make it a little easier there, if you can see that circle, you can't see that either. But um, that's where he's at. So you don't spend the whole time finding finding him, and I'll take it off the screen here in a second, but the idea of where's Waldo was to find something that was hard to find. This sounds like one of the greatest questions that man asks all the time, and that is, where is God? The passage that we're going to look at today in Psalm 139 answers that question. But in our world today, those that are seekers, they ask the question, where is God so that I can, so I can know more about Him? The skeptic says, where is God in all of this bad stuff that happens in the world? The sinner says, where is God so I can avoid Him and hide from Him? The hurting person says, where is God when I need Him most? We looked at last week, we began looking at the, what are known as the three omni-attributes of God. We talked about uh, last week God's omnipotence. And today we want to look at God's omnipresence. These three naturally go uh, hand to hand because, uh, uh, for a couple of reasons, but uh, they, the, the first part, the omni, means all, and you see that in all of them. We talked about uh, omnipotence, but omniscience, we'll talk about next week, means God is all knowing. Omnipotence, we talked about last week, means God is all-powerful, and today we're going to look at the third one, omnipresence. Someone has said that these three attributes work in tandem. He, being God, knows what, we need, what needs to be done because He's omniscient. He has the power to do it because He's omnipotent. And He always is where He needs to be to do whatever He needs to do because He's omnipresent. But I believe 
omnipresence is the hardest one for us to grasp. I believe of all three of this, this one is the, man, it's the hardest one for us to get our mind around. We can't be at more than one place at a time. So to imagine someone who is at every place, at every moment, at every time, is hard for us to really think about. I mean, our problem is we have nothing to compare it to. When we say God is omnipotent, that we talked about last week, meaning God is all-powerful, you know, that we can get a little bit. Why? Because we all have a little bit of power, maybe not much in comparison to God, hardly anything, but we all get that a little bit. We talk about omniscience, that means that God is all-knowing, that he knows everything. We, we, again, we can grasp that a little bit. Our concept is there just a little bit because we can conceive that on some level we know something. But there is no sense in which we can be present everywhere. We can't even be two places at the same time. Some of you think you can, but you can't. And so, omnipresence is a mystery to us. And so it's one, as we go through this message, I really want you to think about, in some cases, this is going to be a message at times you're going, whoa, this is way over my head. But we need to think about this because this is so important to our relationship with God. Look, if you will, at Psalm 139, and I'm going to uh, read uh, verses 7 through 12. You can follow along as I read the words of David. He said, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light uh, about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'll help us to understand that even even as I pray this prayer to you, you are in our midst. You're not in some distant location far removed from us, looking down on us as if we are beyond your reach. God, you're here. Lord, I plead with you as we go into this, I pray that you'll help us to understand that in a way maybe we haven't before. And we'll understand the ramifications of that. And Lord, I pray that you will be with my words as I speak, that I will feel your Holy Spirit guiding and directing me. Thank you for all that you have done. In Christ's name, amen. One Sunday morning, many, many years ago, a Bible college professor was riding in a train on the way to church, and he was sharing a seat with a small boy who was also going to church. The professor, in a friendly yet a little bit uh, evil way, decided he wanted to question the boy and see how smart he was. So he said to the young man, Young man, can I ask you a question? And the young man said, Yes, sir, you can. Tell me, boy, thinking he would have a little fun with the lad, Where is God? If you can tell me where God is, I will give you this apple. The boy paused for a moment and then looked up at the professor and said, Sir, 
I'll give you a whole barrel of apples if you can tell me where God is not. I think that uh, the wisdom of that child uh, is far beyond our comprehension even at times. A.W. Tozer said the notion that there is a God but that He is somehow comfortably far away from us is not embedded anywhere in the doctrinal teaching of the Bible. We do not believe that God is in heaven alone, that He is somehow separated from us, that He is far from us in some geographic sense, but that He is here. And so we need to begin to think about the presence of God. And so my first point in outline is just that. Ponder the presence of God. First, let's dissect the word. We talked about a little bit last week about this, but omni, the word omni and omnipresence means all. The word presence, guess what it means? Really, really ready for this? Presence means to be present. That was a tough one. But really, it means to be close. The, the, the Latin term actually means to be at hand or, or to be, uh, grasp, be able to be grasped at any moment. It means that He is at all times, at all locations, in every single place, He is close to everything. He is next to everyone. Isn't that an amazing thought? That our Almighty God that we talked about a few weeks ago, the God of love, the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of justice, the God of holiness, is at hand always, at all times. And this fact of God's omnipresence is taught throughout the Word of God. So we need to ponder the presence of God, but I want to look at this in three ways. We need to ponder the presence of God in creation. God is as present as the air we breathe. Alf Waldo Emerson said this, Nature is too thin a screen. The glory of the uh, omnipresent God bursts through it everywhere. All around us, we can see the presence of God in creation. We can see the wonder of God in creation. All around us, that's where. That's why in verse 8, notice what David said. He said, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And what he is saying in that passage is there's nowhere we can hide from the presence of God. God is in His uh, creation. God is uh, in this universe. He is present. He is not detached in any sense at all. I want to be careful when I say that God is present in His creation because if we ponder this fact uh, in the wrong way, we err towards pantheism. What is pantheism? Pantheism simply believes that God is not only uh, present everywhere, but God is in everything. In other words, God is in this pulpit, according to a pantheist. God is in the carpet, God is in the trees, God is in the air that we breathe. And, and uh, the problem is this, is that they believe in an omnipresent God, but they deny His personality. In other words, they deny He is a person, He's just uh, this force. We believe God is a personality. Why? Because God says we were created in the image of God, and in the image of God, uh, we understand that. But God is also at the same time present everywhere, and that's so hard for us to comprehend. Although He is here, although He is everywhere, He is so far removed from simple material things like the pulpit or the carpet or the trees. But because people believe that, that is why they bow down to wooden gods, they bow down to trees, they bow down to the wind, to the mountains, and they worship in God, but that is not God. God is a personable God that is present with us at all times. 
And so we ponder the presence of God in, his, in creation, but secondly, we ponder the presence of God in his attributes. What do I mean by that? I mean that through the omnipresence of God, we see his attributes and vice versa. Let me give you an example. Look at verse 10, if you will. Uh, in this passage, it says, Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Here David understood this, that because of the omnipresence of God, because God was everywhere, and he got, grasped that, and he got that, that God was all places at all times, he understood this, that God loved him enough to hold him. See, because what bursts through the omnipresence of God is his love. But in addition to that, there are other characteristics of God. We also are forced to admit that God is eternal because the idea of omnipresence is not just in this moment, but in all moments. And so God is eternal. That means God has always been, always will be. And in every moment of every minute, of every day, of every possible time in this universe, God has existed and will exist. We're also forced to admit that He's infinite. He's infinite. There is no limitations, there is no limits to God in time or space. Let me explain it to you this way. That means that God is the environment in which creation dwells. You say, what do you mean by that? Let me, let me take this a step further. It means that the finite or limited creation does not contain God. God contains creation. You hear what I'm saying there? And we also, all, so often we get this like, well, where is God in heaven? Or where is God? God? God is so everywhere that creation does not contain God. God contains creation. That's the magnificence of God and it's just, it just causes me to stand in awe that we look and we think, oh man, yeah, God did this and God did that, but God, God is overwhelming in such a big way. You see, there is no place beyond God for Him to be. There is nothing that exists beyond God. Everything that exists dwells within God. If I can illustrate it this way, uh, just as the sea is the environment for the fish and the air is the environment for the birds, God is the environment for all of creation. He's that big. He's that present. There's a quote that I found that is just really, you've got to dive through this one a little bit, but, and I don't know if you have time to write it down, but look at what this says. God is over all things. God is under all things, outside all things, within but not enclosed, without but not excluded, above but not raised up, below but not depressed, holy above presiding, holy beneath sustaining, holy within filling. Isn't that a huge, God? I mean, we can't begin to, we try to put God in this little box and God says, Stop! That box does not exist where you can hold me in. This is the omnipresence of God. But to put it plainly, in the words of a child, someone asked the child, where is, why is there but one God? And he said this, because God fills every place and there is no room for another. Being infinite means that God is not only everywhere, but here's where it gets a little bit hard for us to grasp, is that God is equally present everywhere. Now this is important for us to understand. God transcends all spatial and geographic limitations. Yet, here's the paradox. 
Here's the crazy part about that, is that God is present in every single part of the universe with His entire being. Do you not get that? I don't. Let me explain what I mean by this. When we say God is everywhere, that means we understand mentally, we grasp it a little bit, that God right now is present with Christians in China. God is present with people in California. God is present with people uh, in, in, in Chicago, down in our basement. But you know what? He's holy with me right now. He's holy with you. It's not like you get, okay, there's 8 billion people in this world, so I get one eight billionth of a part of God. I get all of them. And that's what the, the idea that God is infinite means is, and, and that He's omnipresent and that every single part of God. Now, I am here. In an hour from now, I will probably be home. But God is here right now and in my home at the same time, in the same capacity, in all of His being. Isn't that dizzying? Still struggling to understand? Well, that helps us to understand that that's God and we're not going to fully understand Him. Jeremiah says this, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. He says, how can you hide? Don't I encompass everything? He doesn't just simply fill the earth with his knowledge or his influence. He is filling all creation with his very essence equally and everywhere. That means this, there is not a place in the universe that we can imagine that is deprived of God's presence. And that was a comfort to the psalmist as he wrote Psalm 139. And, and look at verse 7 again, what David said. He said, where shall I go from your spirit and where shall I flee from your presence? It wasn't that David was running away from God, but what he was saying was this, if I tried to run from God, I couldn't because I can't outrun God because everywhere I go, God is there. But the psalmist goes on and he says this, and get this, really grapple with this. God is in heaven God is on earth. But here's a tough one for us. If you look again at verse 8, it says what? God is in heaven. If I go to heaven, there you are. But if I go to Sheol, you are there. What is Sheol? Now some of you, um, King James has um, hell. I think that's not the best translation because when we think of hell immediately, we think of uh, the worst possible place and and there is some truth to that, but Sheol was a, was a location where all those who, who died prior to Christ would go to Sheol. There was, there was the side that was paradise, and there was the side that was excruciating torment. We see that in the story of Rich Man and Lazarus. Remember that story where, where they, they come, and it says that Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, and, and he can see there's a great gulf, but he can see across the way the, the rich man who didn't believe and and that's, that's the, this concept of Sheol. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he, that he went down into Sheol and he released the captives. He let those go that had, had their belief in, in the coming Messiah and he took them up to heaven and the rest of them remained in what now we've referred to as hell. But what is God saying in this passage? He said, even David is saying, even if I find myself in, in Sheol, God is there. God is there. Isn't that an amazing thought? 
Notice what he goes on and he says in verse 12. Look at verse 12. He says, even, even the darkness is dark to you. We find it difficult to understand, but this is what the psalmist is telling us. You can't even take refuge in the darkness because there's no difference between darkness and light to God. In fact, the darkness is light to God. If you're going to hide in it, he'll show up and the light of his glorious presence will expel the darkness. In heaven, there is the presence of God's glory, but in hell, there's still the presence of God. It's just the presence of God's wrath. You know, how different is the God of the Bible from the gods of this world, the idolatry that we see from day to day? You see, because the difference is, is that the unbelievers in our world and the other religious systems, they, they don't know where their God is. They can't tell you where he's at. But our God's not like that. We can see this illustrated in the Old Testament in the story where Elijah came in confrontation with the prophets of Baal. Do you remember that story? Remember, they had this confrontation and they met uh, and, and as they were meeting, they, they both built altars and the idea was they were to pray to their God and their God was to send fire upon the altar and, and so the prophets of Baal began, and uh, 400 of them, and they began praying and, and, and yelling out to their God and the Bible tells us they would cut their arms and, and they would do whatever they could to get the attention of their God and they couldn't find Him. Remember Elijah? He's sitting there over there. Hey, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe you need to be louder to wake him up. And then Elijah comes forward and he gets on his knees and he prays to an ever-present God. And God hears him and answers his prayer. Our God is not like that God. You don't need to behave like the Baalites behaved. You don't need to cry out for the presence of God as if, he's, if, as if He's lost. God is here. He's beside us. That's why Paul said when he was talking to the, the men, he said, for in Him, in God, we live, we move, and we have our being. In other words, he's, Paul understood the same thing that David did is that, that we all live inside the environment that is God. God is all around us. Augustine said it right when he said this, God is not partly here or partly there, but he is totally present at every point in the universe. And so we ponder the presence of God in his creation, we ponder the presence of God in his attributes, and finally, uh, we ponder the presence of God in the gospel. Let's go back to the story of Jonah. Do you remember the story of Jonah? God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, uh, your, you know, your nation's enemy. And, and Jonah said, I don't want to do that. You remember Jonah was foolish enough to think that he could hide from God? He was foolish enough to think that he could flee from God? Where shall I flee from your presence, he thought. Well, how about this? I'll get on a boat, I'll go on a journey, and I'll get as far away from God as I possibly can. And you know what he found out? He couldn't do it. He found out that even, even as he got thrown into the ocean and, and a big fish came and swallowed him up, and even as he uh, lived in the belly of a fish for three days, God was with him. Did Jonah know that? Yes. Jonah knew that before he got swallowed up by the fish. But you know what the problem was? Jonah 
Even though he knew better, sin changed him. Bitterness and anger changed him. And sin does that to us. It gets in. It lets us forget what God is like. It dupes us into thinking that we can escape God. That we can somehow hide from God. But Jonah found out in the belly of a fish that he couldn't. And the omnipresence of God is everywhere. And what happens is, is, you know, so often is we get to the point where we see, I, I, I don't think God's there. And people were living their lives for, for many years that God wasn't there. And so you know what God did? God said, I want you, to, I want you see, to see a physical representation of the fact that I am always there. And so He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to the earth in the form of a baby. He named Him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus Christ lived this life. He went through what you go through. He longed for His heavenly Father the way that you long for your heavenly Father. And then one day He died. He died for, for the sin that dupes us into thinking we can somehow run from God. And He made it known to us that we couldn't. But the thing is, is that omnipresence implies that He is always here and always been, but it also omnipresence requires faith. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God, what does it say first? Must believe that He exists. Do you believe that God exists? See, the omnipresence doesn't do anything for you if you don't believe it. If you don't believe that God is present, it doesn't do anything for you. But then Jesus added to that the, the foundation of belief by saying this in John chapter 14. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So belief that God is everywhere at all times leads to a belief in Christ which ultimately leads to the Gospel. The good news that Jesus died for us. A missionary to India tells the story of seeing Hindu worshipers take, go out in the field and tapping on stones and lifting them up and whispering to them, are you there, are you there, to a God they hoped was present. But Christians, we can say God is indeed here, God is everywhere, but He's not confined to a stone or to a tree, but He is free in His universe, He is near to everything. In the miracle of the Gospel, is that through Jesus Christ, He is immediately accessible to every single heart. In other words, the good news that Jesus died and rose again makes the omnipresence of God accessible to us through our personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Because before our salvation, we didn't believe that God was everywhere. We didn't believe that God was omnipresent. And it didn't matter to us. But when you come to a faith in Jesus Christ, you know what? And suddenly you realize that because of the Holy Spirit working through you, God is everywhere. God is with us. So the second thing is we look, we not only need to ponder the presence of God, but secondly, we need to practice the presence of God. Because it's not just enough to see and know God exists. But the fact is, is that it should alter our patterns of life. If God really is present at every moment of your life, when you, when you sit in your house and you're the only one in your house, if God is really present, then it's changed you. 
If you're driving your car and you're going somewhere and you're, you're on the road and, and you, you know the presence of God and you look over in the passenger seat and you're, there's no one there, but you know God's present, then it should change you. It should change who you are. So let's look at two areas. First of all, practice the presence of God in communion with Him. A monk by the name of Brother Lawrence in the 1600s wrote, wrote a book, and this was prior to the Reformation, but uh, he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God, and he taught, and his desire uh, was that all times he would be conscious of a divine presence in his life. And that was his goal in life, that he would always be conscious of it. His job, he was simply a cook in the monastery, and, and that's all he did. And he said he would, as he cut carrots, or as he peeled potatoes, or as he cleaned the floors, his desire was a greater understanding of the fact of the presence of God and that in everything he would seek the glory of God in all that he did. Just like David, he understood, he said, I can't flee from your presence and so I want to understand that since your presence are here, it's going to change me. And Brother Lawrence said this, our life is to find joy in God's divine company. Do you do that? Some of you love company. You know, you hear someone's coming over and you get all excited and you prepare a meal and you do all this. But do you find joy in God's divine company? And he goes on, he says this, and to make it a habit of life, we should apply ourselves continually so that without exception, all our actions become small occasions of fellowship with God. He said this, if I can pick a carrot off the kitchen floor for the love of God, I will do it. Our God dwells and inhabits and fills the heavens of heavens, yet He's in your heart. Can you grasp that? God dwells around us, yes. God's in everything and around everything. And everything has its existence, but the miracle of it is that God is in you and me. It should be life-changing. That should be something that does not keep us the same. He fills us by His Spirit, and we know communion with God and the holiest of holies in our spirit. And the wonder of God's omnipresence is this, that no matter who you are, no matter how great you believe you are, or how small and insignificant you feel you are, the reflection of God's omnipresence can be seen in all. Do you live that with that constantly in mind? We need to practice the presence of God in communion with God, but secondly, we need to practice the presence of God in receiving comfort and strength from Him. Look again, if you will, at our passage there, Psalms 139. Look at verse 10. He says, Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. The final thing that I want to convey to you this morning is this. The presence of God can not only be known, but it can be experienced. And there's a big difference. I believe there's a multitude of believers today who know a great deal about a great deal of things, but they haven't experienced the presence of God. 
They don't walk each day with the understanding that God is with us. It is the very presence of God that was promised to all those who love Him. Do you remember the very last thing that Jesus said before He went up into heaven? In in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, He said, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And then notice what He says at the end. And behold, I am with you always. Now some people have said this passage here is, is, is just to the apostles, that they are to go and, and, and take the good news of Jesus and teach. And this very last phrase that I didn't read tells us otherwise. He says, well, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He did not say to the disciples, I am with you always, even till the end of your lifetime. He says, no, to the end of the age. What does that mean? Until Jesus Christ comes again, what he's saying is this, is I am with you as believers. I am here. I am present and I'm always there. It's the promise of Psalm 23.4 that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no ever. Why? For you are with me. Take your Bibles and look at, where, if you're in Psalm 139, just a little bit over Psalm 121. I just want to close just by reading this. Because this psalm, again, expresses the omnipresence of God. And he says in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hill from where comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you from going out and from coming in from this time and forth and forevermore. Do you need that kind of comfort? How, how do we know that? How do we know that what, what the writer of the psalm says here is true? That no matter where I go, nothing will harm me if God is keeping me. Nothing will strike me. How do we know that? Because He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. Do you need comfort today? Well, this is your comfort. He is not only there, No matter where you go, no matter what you're going through, just like David understood, you can stand upon the rock of Christ and He's present with you. Um, If you go through the Old Testament, last um, two weeks ago we talked about El Shaddai, which is one of the names of God, and I am that I am. But if you go through the Old Testament, you'll see many names of God revealed, where God comes to his people and says, I want to give you another name of me so you understand who I am. The very last uh, name of God that's revealed in the Old Testament is in the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, he, he calls himself a name that we had not seen prior to that, and he calls himself the name Jehovah Shammah. What that means is simply is this. What he said to the people, and this was a time of great trial for the people of Israel, and what he's saying to them is this. The Lord, He is here. What a calm to a troubled sea of life. What a comfort for a broken heart. What a breath that breathes peace into the winds of a troubled soul to know that God is here. 
and to realize and to begin to walk in that conscious experience of the presence of God. A.W. Tozer said this, it is the knowledge that God is present. Oh, that is blessed. But to feel His presence is nothing more than sheer happiness. Maybe today you understand and you know the presence of God, but have you experienced the presence of God? Let's pray. God, we are so privileged to know that you are with us in this room. Lord, we know the magnificence of it is not only are you with us in this room, but you're with you're with people all over this world. But you're with us. Not only are you with us as a whole, but you're with us individually, with each person in this room uh, that has placed their faith in you, that you are present with them through the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. And Lord, we, we want to know that more. Lord, so often as humans, we feel alone. We feel betrayed or we feel hurt. But to know like David understood that you are our rock, you're our fortress, and you're present. Lord, first of all, Lord, I pray that you'll work in lives. Lord, I know that there in a room this size, there are some here, Lord, that have never come to a faith in this all-present God. They've never allowed the gospel to penetrate their life and come to an understanding of what Jesus Christ did as he came to earth and died for them. God, if there's any here that have not placed their faith in, in you, I pray that today they will do that. But for us as believers, Lord, we know we know in our mind that you're present. But Lord, I pray that you will help us today to experience it. Lord, for those that maybe have allowed sin to creep in and somehow this sin has distorted them to think that they can run from you, that they can hide. There's points of their life where they can hide from you. Lord, I pray that you'll help them to see that they can't. That you're there too. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to confess those sins that we need to confess that we're trying to do in, in hidden points of our life. And then experience the joy of the presence of God. I pray that you will work through our lives today. We thank you for all that you've done. In Christ's name, amen.